Praise God. Welcome to a cold Sunday in March. I don't even understand why it's cold in March. Um, I was excited last week that we had daylight savings time, which means we are about to enter into spring and sunshine, but for some reason mm. it's cold. But it is still the day that the Lord has made, and we will rejoice and be glad in it. Amen. Uh, welcome to today's service. Um, this morning we will be continuing our series on the book of John. And today is part 73. And the sub-theme under the Lordship of Christ series is, it's an abiding thing. It's an abiding thing. Amen. So John chapter 15, verse 9 to 17. John 15, verse 9 to 17. And whilst you open, let me just commit this segment of ourselves into the hands of the Lord. Father, I want to thank you this morning for an opportunity to receive from your throne of grace. We thank you that the anointed teacher, who is the Holy Spirit, is in the house. Thank you, Holy Spirit, that you speak through me. Thank you, Holy Spirit, that may the inspirations be divine. And may your word come along with it transformative power. We receive what you have for us this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, John chapter 15, verse 9 to 17. John 15, verse 9 to 17. Jesus is still on his discourse. As the Father loved me, I also have loved you. Abide in my love. 10. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love. Just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you that my joy may remain in you and that your joy may be full. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, than to lay down one's life for his friends. You are my friends if you do whatever I command you. No longer do I call you servants, for a servant does not know what his master is doing, but I have called you friends. For all things that I had from my father, I have made known to you. 16. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should remain. That whatever you ask the father in my name, he may give you. So last week, if you do remember, we spoke about fruitfulness, and fruitfulness will come on the heels of abiding. And when we talked about abiding, we presented we, we presented three pictures. Um, the first picture of abiding has to do with being rooted in Christ, like a branch is to a tree. Uh, in this case, is Christ is saying that remain in me. The second picture of abiding is making Christ your abode. And we spoke about that. It is said that to survive on this earth, there are certain things called basic necessities of life. And there are five things that constitute the basic necessities of life. Food, water, 
uh, clothing shelter. That's it. Not credit card. <laughs> credit card is not a basic necessity. Food, water, clothing, uh, and shelter. And therefore, when Christ is saying that we should make him his abode, we should abide in him, Christ is saying that I should be your sustenance. Just as you need these things to be able to survive and live and experience your livelihood, Christ should be our livelihood. He should be our sustenance. And then not just that, Christ also should make us his abode. So when we are talking about abiding in Christ, it's we being rooted in Christ. It's we making Christ our abode and Christ also making us his abode. That's abiding. And we looked at the, the scripture in the first eight verses of chapter 15, which talks about the mutual relationship between Jesus and disciples. You know, Jesus loves us, but there is a mutuality that exists here. We have to abide in him, and he also has to abide in us. Now, if you look at this scripture this morning, Christ doesn't just want us to abide in him. He also wants us to abide in his love. So we are not just to abide in him, we are to abide in his love. And when we are abide in his love, do you know what happened? Excuse me, we will sense, we will feel, and we will know the love of God. That's what abiding in the love of God is. When we abide in the love of God, we sense, we feel, and we know the love of God. And there are certain features that marks a Christian that abides in God's love. When we abide in the love of Christ, we experience no condemnation. Romans 8 verse 1. If you're a Christian and you're always experiencing condemnation, with condemnation comes guilt and shame. You're always feeling guilty. You're always feeling condemned. You, you always have a guilty conscience. May I submit to you, Christian brother, Christian sister, you are probably not abiding in his love. We, we should not just abide in Christ. We should also abide in his love. He says, if, if, if you abide in my love, just as I've kept my father's commandments, abide in it. We, we, we have to stay in the love of God. We have to make a concerted effort to stay. And when we stay in the love of God, what will happen is that we will know how much God loves us. And in this present time that we live in, we have to abide in the love of God. We have to abide in the love of God. Can you imagine what happened to um, Silicon Valley Bank last week? If, if, you had, if you had your money there, if you had savings, if you had investments there, it's gone. The only thing that will sustain you now is to abide in this love. That, okay, irrespective, I may have lost some things. Hey, maybe I'm, I'm, I might not get money to even pay the mortgage. I might not get money to pay the car notes. Uh, I may have lost my job. Whatever be the case, God still loves me. It is abiding in God's love that will give you that assurance and that confidence to be able to say that. So if a Christian is experiencing condemnation 
with its associated evils of guilt and shame, it's not abiding in God's love. And the Lord wants us to abide in his love because it's an abiding in his love that we will experience a guilt-free, a condemnation-free lifestyle. Even when you sin, and as a Christian, we shouldn't make it a practice of sinning. But in, in your quest to What word do I even want to use? Romans chapter 8. In your quest to conform to the image of the Son of God, you will fall because you're a human being. And when you fall, you shouldn't beat yourself and feel so condemned to the point that you think God is upset at you. You are going to hell. Uh, you are no good. You are not an instrument of the devil. No matter wherever you find yourself, if you are truly abiding, in the love of God, you will get back up again and you will say that there is therefore now condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. You will walk guilty, you will walk guilt shame, and you will press on towards conforming to the image of the Son of God. That's, that's the difference. You will not have the zeal to commit more sin. You will not have the zeal to become entrenched in your habits but you rather have the zeal and, and the quest to like, I've got to wake up and go after God and chase after God and pursue God with all that I have, even though I know I've sinned. But I have to get back up. Lord, thank you for forgiving me. Thank you that I don't feel guilty. I don't feel condemned. I don't feel ashamed so that I can press on. But if you're a Christian, and you are saying that, wow, there is no more condemnation. I even feel good in my sin that I can even do what I'm doing because I have no condemnation. Probably you are not born again. You are not born again. That's the difference. Amen. The second feature that we see when we abide in his love is that we have confidence and boldness in the day of judgment. I think I have to read this scripture. First John. Chapter 4, verse 17. You know what? It will be better. You, let, let, let's start from verse 12. Let's, let's read from verse 12. First John chapter 4, verse 12. No one has seen God at any time. If we love one another, God abides in us, and his love abides in us, and it has been perfected. 13. By this we know that we abide in him, and he in us because he has given us of his spirit. And we have seen and testified that the Father has sent the Son as Savior of the world. Whoever confesses Jesus is the Son of God, God abides in him, and he is in God. And we have known and believed the love that God has for us, and God is love. And he who abides in love abides in God, and God in him. Love has therefore been perfected among us, in that we may have boldness, in the day of judgment, because as he is, so are we in the world. So how we have boldness on the day of judgment? Not because of your good works, 
We are not saying don't do good works. Do good works. Not because of your prayer. We are not saying don't pray. You should pray. Not because you read the Bible. We are not saying don't read the Bible. Read the Bible. Read the Bible. It's important to read the Bible. Not because you have given birth to some fruits. We are not saying don't give birth to some fruits. Give birth to some fruits because the Bible says by their fruits they shall be known. But what will make us able to have boldness on the day of judgment and not be afraid? Won't shiver. When judgment day comes, we are happy because we have boldness on the day of judgment. Why? Because love has been perfected in us. And what is the inference that love has been perfected in us is we abide in God's love. So that's very important. We have to make a concerted effort not just to abide in Christ, but abide in God's love or abide in Christ's love. And for us to abide in Christ's love, one of the things that I do is that we will have boldness in the day of judgment. We are called, and we will have no fear in love because perfect love casts out fear. When we abide in love, we come to a place whereby our love becomes mature. We experience the maturation and the perfection of love. And when we come to that place, we have no fear. A, ca a cast out fear of us being cast out by God. A cast out fear of what the devil can do. A cast out even fear of, of, of phobias. There are different kinds of phobias. It cast out all those kinds of fear because love has been made better. Look, there is nothing that the devil can do against a Christian when a Christian believes that God loves me. And you don't do that by mental exercise. You don't do that by psyching yourself up. You do that by abiding in God's love. So now we are going to see how do we abide in God's love? John, John again, our scripture. Chapter 19, chapter 15, I'm sorry. So now, the question is, how do we abide in God's love? Look at verse 10. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love just as I kept my father's commandments and abide in his love. So how do we abide? We abide by keeping his commandments. And what are his commandments? The Bible. You know, now I've been hearing some funny, funny, you know, quotations like it's Christian, but it's not Christian. Or I don't follow the Bible, I follow Christ. What is that? <laughs> what, what, what is that? What, what's that? what does that really mean? Oh, I don't follow the Bible, but I follow Christ. I'm not biblical, but I'm spiritual. What, what, what does that mean? Sometimes the things that I read on social media, it just baffles my mind. And you will see people just making videos of also, I, I, don't, I don't read the Bible because it's antiquated. I, I don't read the Bible because it's written by a human being. I, I don't, you don't even know your Bible. That's why you miss And you don't even know Christ. That's why you will say that. Because if you know Christ, Christ would have spoken to you that the words that I speak, they are spirits and they are life. And Apostle Peter says that the word of God, the sole author, is not the authors that we have in the Bible. The sole author is the Holy Spirit. And the Bible lets us know that men of God, they didn't just speak or prophets of food. All the authors of the Bible are called prophets. 
prophets of old, they never spoke by any, by any human mediation, but they spoke as they were moved by the Spirit of God. So Moses could only write what he wrote because he was moved by the Spirit of God. Isaiah could only write what he wrote because he was moved by the Spirit of God. None of them wrote anything by their mental faculty. None of them wrote things because they were that clever. None of them wrote things because they had been to Bible school. They wrote things because they were moved by the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is the sole agency of the Word of God. He is the sole author of the Word of God. Yes, it is true that Paul wrote the book of Corinthians. Paul wrote the book of Colossians, but he wrote it under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. So the credit goes to the Holy Spirit, not to Paul. But the Holy Spirit needed a human vessel to write the book. So this thing like, oh, I, I don't, I don't, I don't read, I don't, I don't follow the Bible, but I follow Christ. You are not a Christian. I mean, what is that? Like, and that's what I thought. Like when I see those posts, I'm like, what is that? And this week, the reason why I'm talking about is that this week I've seen too much of those posts. What is that? What do you mean by I don't follow the Bible, but I follow Christ? What is the meaning of I'm not biblical, but I'm spiritual? To be spiritual is to be biblical. You can't divorce Bible and spirituality. Jesus is saying that for you to abide in my love, you have to keep my father's commandments, which is the word of God. That's the only way. That's the only way we'll be able to abide in this love. So if you're expecting some principles, I don't have any principles to how we abide in the love of God. The only way for us to abide in the love of God is to take the B-I-B-L-E. And now in this time, one of the things that is happening is that the devil is trying so much to discredit the word of God. Because it's through the word of God that you have an accurate picture of Jesus. It's through the word of God that you have an accurate picture of God the Father. It's through the word of God that you have an accurate picture of your destiny. It's through the word of God that you have an accurate picture of who you are supposed to be conformed to. It is through the word of God that you experience the weapon of your warfare, which is not carnal, but it is mighty through God to the pulling down of stronghold. It is through the word of God that the devil is defeated. And that is why the devil is doing everything possible now in this era to discredit the word of God. What makes the church a church? is the word of God is preached. We don't just worship God, but the word of God is also preached. That's what makes it a church. Otherwise, if you take the Bible outside, it just becomes an ordinary gathering. What makes the church the church is not just an assembly of like-minded people who share a common faith. What makes the church the church is that you have a group of people who have a common faith who pray, worship God, and then preaching goes on. Acts chapter 2. Read it and see it for yourself. The Bible lets us know that they continue daily in the apostles' doctrine. That's the Bible. That's what makes a church. The first thing that's mentioned. Before it talks about breaking of bread and fellowship and, and then prayer, it talks about the word of God. The word of God should be central theme among the gathering of a group of believers. 
So if we want to abide in this love, we will have to keep the word of God. That is the way we will abide in this love. And then Jesus said something. He said, these things I have spoken to you, that your joy may remain in you, and that your joy will be full. The source of joy is the Bible. The source of joy is the Bible. The source of joy doesn't come from having a lot of money in your accounts. What about if the bank collapses? The, the, your source of joy doesn't come from Netflix. And there is nothing wrong with having a Netflix account. I have a Netflix account. I like watching Netflix movies. The, the source of joy doesn't come from comedy. I love comedy. Some of the comedians who even entertain us, many of them were depressed. And sometimes they create humor out of their dark experiences that they are going through. What about that? So many things can't give us joy. Or do you think that if there is no war on this earth, you will experience joy? That's not going to give you joy. What will give you joy? Jesus said it. The things that I have spoken to you, that my joy may remain in you and your joy will be full. There is a correlation between the words spoken out of Christ, which is the Bible, and then joy. I keep on making my hands like this. Let me have a Bible. There is a correlation between the word of God and joy. Jesus says, the words that I speak, all the words that are spoken from here, the source of joy, it comes from the word of God. And the Bible says that that your joy may be full. And I like how it says it in Amplified, that uh, joy and gladness, you will be full of measure, complete and overflowing. So when we are talking about full, we are not talking about something that is just full to the brim. We are talking about overflow here. Christ wants us to come to a place where we are experiencing overflow. And one thing I have realized, the blessings of Christ, it's not full to the brim. It's always overflow. Life, abundance. Righteousness, abundance. His, his peace, abundance. Everything is abundance. Check it. There's nothing that's like full. And even if it loses the word full, that is not even the right word to use. The word full here, like I'm explaining to you, it means that our joy will be full of measure, complete and overflowing. Oh, how I pray that you will experience overflowing joy in the name of Jesus. And you and I can experience overflowing joy when we take the commandments of God, which are formed in the Bible. And that is how we abide in his love. Amen. And now Jesus goes on to say, greater love has no man than this, that a man will lay down his life, a, a, a friend, I'm sorry, a friend will lay, will lay down his life. One man will lay down his life. He's talking about friendship here. Jesus didn't see these people as his disciples. He didn't see them as servants. He didn't see them as associates. He didn't see them as juniors. He didn't see them as work colleagues. He saw them as friends. 
And that's why I like Israel, Israel Hilton's song, I am a friend of God. I'm a friend. I am a friend of God, not because I said so. I am a friend of God because he calls me friend. Uh, don't be jealous about it. I'm, I'm a friend of God because he calls me friend. I didn't call myself friend. I just read the book and he said, you are my friend. And I, I just say, I am a friend of God because he calls me friend. How dare me call myself a friend of God? But he calls me friend. And therefore I can say I am a friend of God. And why am I a friend of God? I am a friend of God because I am in the know of what the master is doing. That's why I'm a friend of God. I'm not a friend of God because I have coffee with God in the, in the breakfast time. I have lunch with God. I have dinner with God. No, not because of that. I am a friend of God because the mysteries of God have been made plain to me. And they were made plain to me because I'm not a servant, but I'm a friend. And there is one thing. When you understand the friendship of God, you want to work for God. That's why Peter was standing here when Jesus says, I call you friend. But when he was writing his epistle to the scattered um, believers around Asia Pontus and Asia Minor, he said, Peter, a servant of God. Because when you understand the friendship and the love of God, you will want to work for him. You will want to work for him. And servanthood during those times, when, you know, the, the word servanthood used here was quite a harsh word during the Jewish terrain. You didn't have a will. You were nobody. You were not a working partner. You don't have an inheritance. So there were many negative misconceptions and connotations around the word servant. But Jesus said, that, no, you are, not, you are not my servant. You are my friends. Because in a typical Jewish um, household, the servant is not included in any plan. You are not included in the plan of the master. Nothing of that sort. I mean, in a Jewish household, you really see the difference between a servant and a son. One of the differences is that to differentiate between a servant and a son, the servant doesn't wear shirts. You walk around bare-chested. That means you're a servant. Number two, a servant wears an earring. And the earring is a statement that I am committed to the master. So you have to wear an earring. Number three, the servant doesn't wear shoes. And that's why when you read the prodigal son's story, what did the father say? He said, give him shoes. Because we have to differentiate between a son and a servant. He is not a servant. He is a son. So there were many things, many negative stereotypes that defined the servant. But Jesus looked at his people and he said, you are not servants. And one of the things too you have to know is that Jesus was a rabbi. And during the Jewish time, rabbis and their protégés or students, they didn't have friendship. It was strictly a professional relationship. You come to me because you want to learn and I teach you the word of God. Pharisees who were known as rabbis, they didn't befriend the congregation. How dare you? It never happens. There were too many protocols. Pharisees befriend Pharisees. 
rabbis befriend rabbis. It is just downright abominable for a Pharisee to befriend a member of the synagogue. That doesn't happen. And that's why even among their sitting arrangements, they like to sit in chief places. It was a, a Pharisee did not believe that I should sit among the people and become common. The Pharisee didn't believe that. But Jesus changed that order. He said, I am a rabbi. I am the teacher. But you are my friend. And why are you my friend? Because you are in the know of what my father has taught you. I love that. And Jesus... After he said that, he explained to them why he was also a friend, that I will die for you. I will lay down my life for you. And this scripture, two chapters, Jesus did that. He laid down his life. He died. And this scripture, this particular instance, is less than 24 hours that Jesus will be crucified. It's a friend. It didn't take Jesus being a rabbi to die for us. It took him being a friend. Because a rabbi can teach and give you all the knowledge. But it took Jesus descending from rabbi, the respected position of a rabbi, to being a friend, to dying for us. A friend. And that's why today we are friends of God. So Jesus' circle of friends has enlarged. Anybody who calls himself a believer, who has received Christ as a sword and personal, count yourself this morning as a friend of God. This is not exclusive to only Peter and the 11 disciples. We who have received Christ as our Lord and personal Savior, we who believe in the crucifixion the death, the barrier, and the resurrection of Christ, we also qualify to call ourselves friends of God. Because now, as Jesus has said, I have made all things known to you. The scripture has been made known to us, not in parables, but it has been made clear to us. We now know, we know, we know that we know what is about the master. It is not a mystery. Therefore, we are also friends. That's why we have this Bible. Because of this Bible, you can't tell me there is a mystery. Christ has made it plain as day for all of us because we are his friends. That's something we should rejoice about. And Jesus says something. You did not choose me, but I chose you. And I appointed you that you should go and bear forth fruits and that your fruit should remain. So Jesus has chosen us for two purposes, to bear forth fruits. If you've heard this message, one of the prayers you should pray is that, Lord, may I bear forth fruits. May I bear forth fruits worthy of repentance. May I bear forth fruits befitting of your character. May I bear forth fruit, winning souls for your kingdom. You have to pray this prayer. It, it, it doesn't look normal for someone to call himself Christian and he's fruitless or barren. May we bear forth fruit. 
And number two, that our fruit will remain. Our fruit will not perish. And then, like we said last week, there is a correlation between answered prayers and fruitfulness. Jesus said it again. He emphasized on it. When you bear forth fruit and my fruit remain, whatever you ask the Father in my name, excuse me, he may give you. But you see, all this comes from abiding. Abiding in Christ, abiding in this love. So what does it mean when we say a believer is abiding in God's love or Christ's love? Keep the commandments. That's how you abide. That's how you abide. And when you abide, like we said last week, when you abide, you become fruitful. And when you abide, God answers your prayer. If you want God to answer your prayer, abide. If you want to experience that, look, answer prayers is not how many hours you pray. And I believe in spending time in the presence of the Lord. But answer prayers is not how many hours you pray. Let me even sound controversial. Answer prayers is not speaking in tongues. Because someone may not speak in tongues, but he may abide. And because of that, he experiences answer prayers. I believe in the speaking of tongues because it's a gift. But answer prayers doesn't come because you spoke in tongues. It comes because you are abiding. And like I said last week, abiding is obedience. God will not do by a miracle what you are to do by obedience, which is abiding. Abide. Abide. Many years ago in primary school, we used to sing this song, Abide in Me. We sang it all the time before we close. Abide. That is the key word. It is an abiding thing. If we are to be fruitful, we are to abide. If we are to experience God's love, that we'll be able to extend the love now to everybody around us. It is an abiding thing. And then Jesus ended by saying this, these things I command you, that you love one another. It's an abiding thing. When you hear the word commands, you will see two things there. Jesus talks about my father's commandments, and he talks about I command you. Now, they are the same. Why do I say they are the same? Look at verse 10. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my father's commandments and abide in his love. 11. These things I have spoken to you that my joy may remain in you and that my joy may be full. This is my commandment that you love one another as I have loved you. You see? You see the correlation? The father's commandments is Christ's command. And that's why Jesus could say that for all things that I heard from my father, I have made known to you. 
My father's commandments is my commandments. Christ's commandments is God's commandments, and God's commandments is Christ's commandments. Do you understand? So when we are talking about God's commandments and Christ's commandments, there is no difference. They are just the same. So we are being commanded to love one another, but you can't love if you don't abide in this love. And like I said, you will know a Christian who abides in God's love because he doesn't experience condemnation. Number two, he has confidence in the day of judgments. And then let me give you number three from this verse. Love one another. He loves his enemies. Every Jew could love his neighbor. Every Jew could love his friend. Every Jew could love his family. Every Jew could love his brother. But not every Jew could love an enemy. The tough one. They will, they will bring you the law right now. An eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth. We love those we love and we hate those we hate. The law permits. But Jesus is changing their mindsets. Love one another. The one another here includes your enemies, sworn enemies, people who want to do you evil, people who want to curse you, people who want to persecute you, people who despitefully use you, people who can't stand you, people who wish that you are dead. All those people, they are part of the one another. But you can't do that out of your strength. You can do that when you abide in his love. Oh, how I wish we could sing Abide in Me. I wish I had made that song ready. But today, it's an abiding thing. Abide in this love. Let's pray. Father, we've heard your word. We abide in your love. Thank you. Thank you. Father, for you have said that for us to abide in your love, we have to keep your commands. And we can only keep your commands when we read the word. So, Father, give us a thirst, an insatiable desire for your word. And, Father, when we read the word, may we receive strength and empowerment from on high to keep your commandments. And when we keep your commandments, we abide in your love. And as we abide in your love, O oh Lord, thank you that we have come to the end of the reign of condemnation, guilt, and shame in our lives. Thank you that we are now standing in a place where we confidently and definitely say that we have boldness on the day of judgment. And thank you that when we abide in your love, we love one another. And it will extend to all parties. We will love one another. Thank you, O Lord, that because of this love we have experienced, we can also say, indeed, we are friends of you.